So if you haven't figured it out, this is Palm Sunday. Got that? <laughs> and we got a group that's out at uh, the HEB Foundation camp, probably wrapping up about now this morning. So I'm hoping it's sunny out there at least, and they're having a good morning. Um, and we are uh, hoping that they're having a blessed time. This is a uh, uh, Palm Sunday, this day in which we celebrate the, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And you'll remember the the story where uh, he departs uh, from the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his good friends in the village of Bethany, and he, and he comes down the road toward the golden gate of the city of Jerusalem, and as he comes, uh, the people welcome him like a returning victor from war, uh, is, is the image. It's a, 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 the tradition of, the, of their uh, Hebrew people that the, the branches of the palm, which represented life, were cut and waved in the air as a sign of the life that uh, he had saved by rescuing them, and they were laid on the ground to show uh, that he had brought life back to them by protecting them. Uh, they spread their cloaks as a sign of, of uh, submission or a sign of obedience, uh, an honor to the returning uh, warriors as they came into the city. Uh, and they shouted, Hosanna, which literally is the past tense, uh, meaning you have saved us. Now, now, the interesting thing that most of us forget or probably didn't ever realize is that Hosanna is the past tense of Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus' name literally means he saves, and Hosanna means he has saved us. They share a common root in the Hebrew language, and it's literally the past tense. This is, you know, Jesus, you have saved us. I mean, and so he comes, and they recognize him, and he comes into the temple, and when he comes into the temple, uh, he, he runs straight into a reality that Moses had warned his people about thousands of years earlier as they prepare to enter into the promised land. And so this morning, we're going to go back to Moses' words to his people and then bring those forward uh, into our lives today. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, as we've been doing each uh, week, I'm going to kind of orient you a little bit to where we're at. Uh, if you look at this map of the uh, Holy Land area, the Middle East, uh, you'll remember that the, the Israelites, when we left, left them, they were camped out here at Kadesh Barnea. Uh, this is where they would spend the last 38 years of their time in the wilderness. Uh, they're there because when they had first sent their spies into the promised land, uh, they came back and they told the people that uh, the promised land was wonderful, but that the people who lived there were giants and there was no way they could come in there and take over that land, that they, they were like grasshoppers next to them and they would all be killed. And so because of their lack of trust in God's, comp in God's promise to them, uh, God said, well, okay, then this generation will stay here at Kadesh Barnea until they've all passed away and I will wait and bring the next generation of the Hebrews into the promised land. So they've been camped here uh, for 38 years. Uh, that generation has passed away. The next generation has grown up. And uh, the only two uh, of his warriors to trust him, Caleb and Joshua, are preparing to lead them into the promised land. Now Moses doesn't take them directly up in this route, which would have brought them right into the teeth of the uh, most fierce resistance. But rather he brings them across to the route of the kings, uh, which runs up here kind of on the back side of the Dead Sea uh, and up the, the river valley here to Mount Nebo. And it's from Mount Nebo that they will then depart and cross into the promised land. Um, when he brings them to, to Mount Nebo, uh, and incidentally, some of you who are Southerners, you may have heard this called Pisgah. Anybody? 
Uh, Pisgah is the Hebrew word for high place. It's a high place. It actually is the name of the whole ridge that runs along this area. That whole ridge is called Pisgah. Uh, and so uh, the particular peak that Moses goes to is Mount Nebo, but it's part of this uh, ridge or range called Pisgah in Hebrew. Moses himself is not planning to cross over with them because God has told him he's not going to. And there's a story there that not many people know in a, in, that occurs in Numbers 20. Uh, you know, throughout the time that they are in the wilderness, uh, the people of Israel are constantly failing to trust God and, and constantly kind of whining about, you know, we're all going to die. I mean, you know, they, they come to the Reed Sea after everything that God's done. They come there and they realize they're stuck between the water and the Egyptian army and they cry out, oh, we're all going to die. You brought us out here to kill us. And, uh, and God parts the waters and they pass through. Uh, they come out into the wilderness. They're out there in the midst of the wilderness and they don't have anything to eat. And they go to Moses and say, oh, you brought us out here in the wilderness and we're going to starve to death. We're all going to die. And so Moses goes and talks to God and they have the manna that appears in the mornings and they, and they are fed. And then after they've had the manna a while, they're kind of getting tired of it. They go, oh God, we're so tired of manna. That's all we ever get to eat. And so they go and they complain and, and God sends the quail. Uh, and, and then, you know, they get to Kadesh Barnea and they send the, the spies over the land and the spies come back and said, oh, we can't come over to overcome these people. They're all going to kill us. We're all going to die. And God says, okay, fine. Then you just sit, stay there until the next generation grows up. But in the midst of that, there's another story in Numbers that occurs where after they've gotten the manna and after they've gotten the quail and they're in the wilderness, they don't have any water. And so they go to Moses and Aaron and they go, oh, we're all going to die because we don't have any water to drink. I mean... God is really patient with us, isn't he? And so, so God says, Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to this place called Meribah, and you're going to speak to a rock, and then I will open the rock, and the water will flow. But what Moses does is he goes to the rock, and he takes his staff, and he strikes it, and it breaks open, and the water comes out. And Moses says, see what water we have brought you. And God says, you know, Moses, that's not what I told you to do. No, I didn't tell you to strike the rock. I just told you to speak to it. But second, you're taking credit for what I'm doing. Instead of saying, this is what God has done, Moses says, see what we have done. And so God says, you'll see the promised land, but you won't pass into it. So Moses comes to Mount Nebo, and, and the people are preparing to cross over, and he knows that he is not going to go with them. And he gives them this last kind of time of instruction, knowing that they're going to be crossing over without him. He, he gathers up to this information. He gives them this last bit of instruction. And, and then when that's completed, uh, he goes into the wilderness and he dies. Um, and interestingly, we don't know where he's buried. I mean, we know the burial places of pharaohs of Egypt and, and kings of different places and other rulers of, uh, of Israel. But we have no idea uh, where Moses went. Uh, so, so he gathers them on, on top of Mount Nebo, and he begins to give them an instruction. And that's gathered up in a book that we know as Deuteronomy, which literally means the second law. It's actually a, a, a kind of a compilation of all the law teachings out of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. It's all brought together and, and condensed into the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is actually uh, the most popular book, of, uh, if that's the right language, of the Pentateuch. When we go back and we uh, do archaeological work and we look at all the ancient scrolls that come with the first five books of the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy is far and away the most common. There are, there are five times as many copies of Deuteronomy as any other book of the Pentateuch. 
Uh, it was that widely read and understood. Because here is, is all of Moses' wisdom and teaching all gathered in one place and passed on to the people. The way the book is put together is it, it's alternating sections. There'll be sections where he imparts the law and then sections where he reminds them of the covenant. And when he reminds them of the covenant, it's in a particular form, which is called a, a, a vassal suzerain treaty. Now, vassal is the underling, the suzerain is the, is the powerful or lord figure, uh, old Middle East language. And, and in this language, uh, there's a very particular structure to it. The suzerain, who holds the power, will say, this is what I expect of you. This is what you are to do. And if you do these things, then here's the good things that I will give you. Here's the blessings that I will bestow upon you. And if you don't do these good things, here's the consequences of that. This is the curse that you will receive. And in a similar way, the vassal says, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to do, and I'll do that or I won't. Uh, and, and the language is very much this, you know, life and blessing or death and curse, stuff that we hear. Uh, it's the part of this treaty language. It's used in all kinds of treaties. It can be between uh, the lord of the household and the servants of the household. It can be between uh, the, the lord of the city and the citizens of the city. It can be between a great, powerful nation, such as Babylon, and a less powerful nation. Uh, that language is used all throughout the Middle East in this period of time. And in the midst of that language, there's a very particular way in which the words love and hate are used. Because in this kind of treaty language, the word love means obedience. So, so you, you hear, you know, love the Lord and, and obey all of his commandments. Uh, that's treaty language. I mean, it means to, to obey. To love is to, is to obey. So, so when you hear in these covenants the language about love, that means you're to obey. And when you hear the language about hate, that is about disobedience. You, we need to kind of disconnect our emotional baggage that we connect with that language and hear it for what it means uh, in this Old Testament section. So, th so these appear as we read through the passages. We'll, you'll hear kind of hints of that language as we're reading through today about how this plays out in the midst of God's covenant with God's people. So Moses begins to teach them. Uh, when you've eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestor, ancestors as he is doing today. Do not forget. I mean, Moses says that to him because he knows they're forgetful people, right? Oh, we don't have anything to eat. Oh, we don't have anything to drink. Oh, we don't have this. I mean, he knows they keep forgetting. But it's also very much on his heart and mind because he remembers that he was the one that stood before the water and said, oh, look what I've done. Because that's who we are, isn't it? Moses knows us well. We forget that, that, that those things come from God's hand, and we start to take credit for it. And we begin to think it's all about us, right? I mean, here we are in, in America, the wealthiest nation, most powerful nation. Aren't we wonderful, right? And we begin to think that way. It's all about us. And Moses says, don't forget, it's not about you because everything you had came from the hand of God. It's so subtle with us sometimes. Um, Several years back, we were in Kenya at the site of one of the, the natural uh, wells 
uh, there in the land. And, 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 and they had excavated out the hillside where this thing, uh, the well comes forth and, and built in layers of filtration into the, actually built them into the hillside. So when the water came out of this concrete opening they had made, uh, you could literally just take your, your glass and drink it. Uh, it. Actually, if we tested that water, it would look really good compared to Austin City water. Uh, and, and so this wonderful water comes out, and then it goes into a big uh, collection uh, area, a big tank, and then it flows downhill by gravity into 23 different water uh, distribution stations around the area. It, it's this amazing kind of thing, and we're looking at this, and everybody's going, this is fascinating, amazing engineering that went into this. And one of our folks who was with us goes, this is amazing. Who, what engineer did they bring in to do this? And I said, uh, it's the guy standing beside you. He's a Kenyan. But our people were thinking, oh, well, surely they brought somebody in from the United States to engineer this because we're so smart. Yeah, isn't it subtle how that happens? Those subtle assumptions we make about how wonderful we are and how great we are. And Moses knew when they went across and they went into that land and they had all the wealth and they had all the power and they had everything there uh, provided for them that they would begin to say aren't we wonderful so he says don't forget don't forget don't forget that it's God who's done this for you I mean the history of Israel over and over and over is that they are always forgetting you know you just read through the Old Testament and, and it's, it's just this litany, you know, I mean, they, they make a covenant with God, everything's great, then they forget who God is, they stray away from God, God brings these bad consequences on them, they come back to God, life is good again. And, and Adam's kind of created this, uh, this kind of chart or graphic, you know, where you have the people are oriented toward God and, and God is pouring out blessings on them, and then they decide it's really all about them. And, and if that sounds familiar, remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the snake and all that, anyway, uh, it decides it's all about them. So so they decide to orient themselves and they become disoriented and, and life begins to fall apart and bad consequences begin to happen and, and, and then they are reoriented back to God again. And if that sounds familiar in the history of Israel, it probably also sounds familiar in your personal life, doesn't it? Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but let's be honest for a minute. How many of you have ever been in a bad spot and you go, oh Lord, please, if you'll just get me out of this. I'll do X, Y, and Z, and then God gets you out of it. And you go, thanks, God, never mind. Right? This is what we do. This is who we are. We enter into covenant with God, and God pours out blessing on us, and then we start to decide it's us, and we begin to take credit for it. And then, because we take credit for it, we go from blessing to curse. And then we realize, oh, we need to go back to God. It, it repeats over and over in Scripture. It repeats over and over in our lives. So, so Moses warns the people because he knows who we are. Don't forget. And then he begins to instruct them about how not to forget. When your children ask you in time to come, what's the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded to you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. 
Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our lasting good, so as to keep us alive, as is now the case. That's the blessing. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God as he's commanded us, we will be in the right. Do you hear the language? If, if, if we hold to this, if we're obedient to this, if we love the Lord our God with all of our strength and with all of our might, God will pour out blessing on us. And Deuteronomy 6 is the very familiar Shema that we've heard before and read before uh, where that instruction comes across. And this is that treaty kind of language here. O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. And, and in another section a little later, you're going to hear it continued. You know, you shall put these words of mine in your heart and soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Teach them and speak about them whether you're at home or whether you're away. You know, let, let, let these words be in your heart and, and in your spirit and on your lips from the time you get up in the morning to when you go to bed at night and, and whether you're at home or whether you're out in the world. Let this be part of who you are. Don't forget, but pass this on. Remember who you belong to. I mean, this word comes from, from Moses to the people because he knows who the people are and because God knows who we are. This call comes to us because just like the Israelites, it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to forget. You know, we, uh, I'm going to take a little moment here. You know, we, we, we sometimes as parents, you know, we, we think about passing this on to our children. And I hear people say things like, well, I don't want to force my religion down their throat. I want you to hear, <laughs> hear what God says through Moses here. This is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. To remember who you are and to remind and to pass that on to your children. If your children don't wish to receive it, that's their choice. But it's your responsibility to pass it on. But here, it's not just about mouthing the words. It's about those words being in your heart and your spirit. It's about being a part of who you are. It's about who you are and how you live in the world. It's not just about what you say, but about what you do and who you are. Your children should see it, not just hear it. They should see it in your life. You know, if your children listen to you and hear you talk, but don't see that reflected in who you are, they will see the hypocrisy that you're living. I mean, we're called to, to pass that on in everything about who we are. Don't, don't send your kids on a mission trip. Go with them on a mission trip. Don't talk to them about sacrifice. Let them see you sacrificing. Don't just talk about how we're supposed to love people, but then have them see you being hateful. It needs to be part and parcel of who you are. You know, we had a, a, a revelatory moment in my household. Uh, sometime, I think, when Ashley was in high school, and she was coming, and she's going, I want this, and I want to do this, and I want that, and so forth. And I kept saying, you know, we, we just can't afford that. And she's going, well, well, how come we can't do that? Everybody else can do it, right? 
Y'all remember those conversations? Everybody else is going to everybody else gets to do it. Why can't we afford it? And I said, okay, so, so come with me. So I took her upstairs and I brought the computer up and I walked her through our finances. I said, this is what we spend our money on. Because I wanted her to understand where the money was going and the sacrifices that we were making and why we couldn't afford to do some of the things she wanted to do. And that was a revelatory moment for her to see that and go, ah, I had no idea. You know, we, we need to be transparent to our children and let them see our faith. It needs to be shaping us. It needs to be a reality in us that they see in who we are as much as in what we say. And we do that not so that we look so wonderful and everybody thinks we're great and all that, but so that our children hear the story so that we don't forget and they don't forget. And this is Moses teaching to the people. Do these things. Pass them on. Speak about it. Whether you're at home or, or, or whether you're at work or whether you're out in the community or out in the culture. Let people hear the story in you and see it in you. Because we are people who forget. So he comes to the end of all these teachings that are, that are wrapped up in Deuteronomy. And at the end he has this great passage where you, you hear this, this treaty language I'm talking about. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Choose life. You, know, you might think that that's not something you need to say to someone, uh, but, but I'm just going to tell you, I, at this point in my life, I have sat in so many rooms where people have chosen death. Oh, I, I know my drinking is going to kill me, but I'm not going to stop. I literally sat in a hospital room with a man whose doctor had told him, if you drink again, it will kill you, and had him tell me that. I know that if I keep seeing other women, that it will wreck my marriage, but I'm going to keep doing it. I know if I keep spending money like this, it will wreck my finances, but I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, God says to us, choose life, because we keep saying, no, no thanks, God. I'll take death and curse. It's like we're out in the middle of the sea drowning, and he throws us a lifeline, and we go, no, 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 no thank you. I'd rather drown. Choose life. It echoes all through the Old Testament. You'll hear it over and over and over and over. Where God keeps trying to tell us people, choose life and blessing. Because that's God's desire for each one of us. And the reason God has to say it is because we keep making the wrong choice. So Moses gives that final word of instruction to the people of Israel. And then he climbs to the top of Mount Nebo and he looks out over the promised land. And this is the view you would have if you were looking out. But, but, but God gives Moses eyes to see beyond what his body can see. And he sees all the promised land from the north to the, to the south, out to the coast. Uh, he can see far beyond what, what your eyes can show you. So that even though he wasn't going to pass into the promised land, he would actually get to see all of it before he died. And then having seen that vision of the promise fulfilled... Um, 
he fades into the desert and he disappears. And the people cross over. So, so, so many, 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 1,500 so years later, Jesus comes out of the village of Bethany and begins the road down across the Kidron Valley. And the people wave the palms and they spread their cloaks and they cry, Hosanna, you've saved us. And he enters into the city of Jerusalem and comes to the temple. And he enters the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, for you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you've prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. I mean, the Messiah, the Son of God, comes into the temple, to this place that was supposed to be the dwelling house of God. And, and, and there in the temple, when people came to bring offerings, um, sometimes they were coming from a long distance. So originally, as a convenience to the people, it had been set up where they could come and, and buy doves and so forth to offer there so that they wouldn't have to try to transport animals over a great distance. And that was done as a convenience. But then it became a, a, a source of commerce, and it became a business. And as it became a business, then people began to take advantage of it so that it went from being a place where people came with the primary purpose to worship God, it went to being a place where the scribes and the Pharisees and the officials made money. And it was all about them and their honor and their money. And when the Son of God showed up and challenged them, they became angry with him because they had forgotten who they were. They no longer remembered that everything they had had come from the hand of God and that the place they were in was built for the worship of God. It had become all about them and their prestige and their power and their wealth. And Jesus left the temple because God could no longer dwell there. And he went out to the village of Bethany. So here we are in the community named after that village. And, and what does he find when he shows up here? I mean, he left the temple and came out to the village of Bethany. And, and do we remember who we are? Do we remember whose hand has blessed us? Do we remember where our life comes from? Do we remember who it is that has saved us? Do we pass that on, not to our children and our, and our grandchildren, but also to our community and to our culture? Or have we decided to choose curse and death? Moses reminded the people about it so long ago. You see it played out when Jesus walks into the temple. And it still plays out every day of our lives. It still plays out every day. Do you remember who you are? 
Do you pass the story on? Is this still a place where when Jesus shows up, we can cry, Hosanna, you have saved us. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks. For you have rescued us from slavery to sin and death. You have fed the hunger of our hearts. You have watered the thirst of our souls. You have brought us into a land of plenty where where we are wealthy beyond most people's imaginations. And it is so easy for us to forget that everything we have flows from your hand. And to begin to think that it's about us. It's so easy for us to say no to life and blessing and to embrace death and curse. So, Father, remind us this morning that his name is Jesus, which means he saves. And that what we cry out is Hosanna, that he has saved us. For it is from your hand that all life and blessing flows. Be in us in strength, be in us in memory not only in our homes, but with our children, grandchildren, but but in our community and our culture, that we might pass the story on. That not only we, but, but, but every part of the world that we touch might cry out, Hosanna, you've saved us. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite you